Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. When you read your Bible, are you excited and joyful when you see all that Jesus said and did? In John chapter 10, Jesus said that he came that we might have life and have it in abundance. This is indeed the meaning of life, that we might walk in ever-increasing joy and excitement in growing to know Jesus. Regrettably, as Christians, many of us have eternal life, but we are not living this life in the fullness of Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 11 and see the wonderful and exciting conclusion of this amazing account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's a Friday morning here in Texas. It's 6.58 a.m. on my iPad and uh, hopefully y'all are just loving on Jesus. Excuse me, spending time with Jesus. Growing to know Jesus, growing to love him, growing to obey him. Growing to repent when we fall short. We say it every time, there is nothing in our lives more beneficial to us in any way than growing to spend time with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, Lord willing, we are going to finish up John 11 today. We're going to do verses 45 to 57. It's just, it's been an incredible chapter. We did a, uh, we did a Bible study on uh, John 11 yesterday. This is going to be the sixth teaching through John 11. And, you know, it was about a, I did about a 45-minute teaching in Bible study, so obviously I had to skip around a lot because it's going to be about three hours of teaching on John 11 by the time we're done here today. Um, and man, it just uh, the, the 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 insights in John 11 given to us in the Word of God are just uh, are remarkable, as they are in the entire Bible. But just to just to study and meditate on my, as my brother Jason said, he. The end of the study, he said, um, he said he had a tendency to see much of the scripture in his own life. And he was confessing this. And I was taken back because I hadn't heard it worded so well, but we all do this at some level. He had a tendency to see some of the scripture as kind of filler, were his words. And in in the teaching, you know, as we went through it, there were there were some observations. And he thought in his mind, man, I'd always read that as just filler. And then he went on to talk about how obviously there is no filler in the word of God. Every word in our Bibles is the word of the living God, right? We have one God represented in three persons. It's a ministry. It's a, it's a mystery to us, right? The Trinity, right? Uh, they're all God. They are three separate persons, right? It's not three manifestations of the same God. They're actually three separate beings. And, you know, God the Father, God the Son, and, and God the Holy Spirit. And in Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with, with all of them, right? And that's the, 
That's the great blessing, right? Obviously, in Jesus, we have the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul, which is the most important above all. But additionally, we have this opportunity to grow. <clears throat> we come into relationship with God as our Father when we've received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Jesus becomes our Lord and Savior and Master and King and friend, right? And the Holy Spirit becomes our guide, our counselor, our comforter. And again, we have relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and Jason made this incredible point, as I said, that, uh, you know, that, that he often saw, you know, he, he, you know, he inadvertently would just read over Scripture as if it was just filler. But... Um, Every word of God is flawless, the psalmist said, right? Every word of God is flawless. So there is no filler, right, Jason? And um, again, this is a, you know, when we read the scriptures, it's, uh, it, yeah, when we, this is why we study it the way we do is just to really try to meditate. And, and as he said yesterday, we, we, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a, you you can never see it all, right? You could study the same passage, perhaps you've heard this said for a hundred years, and there'll always be more there. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your favor. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love, Lord. I thank you for the beautiful young woman, Lord, um, that gave her life to Jesus Christ in Bible study yesterday, Lord. I just thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I believe her name was Ruthie, Lord. And uh, I just we just celebrate, Lord, the, the salvation of this young woman of God, Lord. And um, Lord, I don't know, I think she's around 15. But Lord, I we just bless her and we thank you for her, Lord. I thank you that there is a new daughter in the kingdom of God today. We just love you and bless you and worship you and thank you and praise you today, Father. Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, our only Savior and Master and God and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, for living a perfect life for us, dying a perfect death for us, and we thank you and worship you, our risen Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, we ask you to open the word of God to our hearts now. We ask that you give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Mm. <clears throat> All right, John 11, 45 to 57. <clears throat> Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, 
but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. So, I mean, it's been a, uh, as I said, it's been a, an incredible chapter. Um, you know, just the, you know, just the study of the chapter has been such a privilege and a blessing to me. Um, you know, it's again, the whole chapter is on raising Jesus, raising Lazarus from the dead and, and all the different, all the different principles and insights we've, we've learned in the chapter. And the last teaching um, was the climactic moment where, where Jesus actually commands Lazarus out of the grave, right? Verse 43, Lazarus come out. Um, and we talked about that. And as we move into 45, you know, there's just, um, therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. So you remember that, that Jesus actually says back in verse, what is it? 15. Um, yes. Lazarus is dead. Verse 15. And for your sake, I am glad he tells his disciples I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And so he makes it clear that Jesus allows Lazarus to die so that, so that their faith would be, would be refined, right? So that, that they would, they would grow and mature in their belief and in their faith in Jesus Christ and who he really is. And so we see that in verse 45, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, Mary had gone to Jesus, uh, Martha had gone to Jesus, they had both poured out their heart to him, and we talked about that, and their grief, they were real and candid with Jesus and their disappointment that he hadn't been there in time. Uh, they had not an understanding that Jesus had power not only over sickness, but over death, as he certainly does. And Jesus had told Martha to go and get her sister. And so Mary came running quickly to Jesus, as we ought to always do, right? Run quickly to obey what Jesus has told us to do. And, met, you know, the people that were with her grieving in her house followed her. And so they came to where Jesus was. And then Jesus um, was so moved, you know, he was troubled. He was angered at death and all the pain and hurt and anguish that death brought on. And we talked about how, you know, it says uh, one of the more well-known verses in the Bible, the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty-five. 35, Jesus wept. We talked about the difference between the weeping that Mary and Martha and all the other Jews were doing, which was a, just a, uh, you know, almost an uncontrolled wailing, right? 
um, and uncontrolled crying and heaving, um, where the word wept is a, is a different word that it, which which means Jesus had a a controlled weeping. He wasn't out of control. He wasn't overly emotional. It was it was a quiet grief, right? Maybe you know a tear comes down his eye and he's he's meditating and he's sad, but he's not he's he's utterly in control in his weeping. And and everyone sees this and they can see how Jesus loved them, but they still didn't understand what was going to happen. And so Jesus tells them to take the stone away. He commands Lazarus out of the grave. Lazarus comes walking out. We talked about how it was a good thing that Jesus used Lazarus's name. Because if he had just said, dead man, come out. Every, every dead person that had ever died in the history of the world would have come out of their grave. When Jesus said, you know, Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. He could have just as easily commanded every dead person and every grave everywhere in the history of the world to come out and it would have happened. That's who we're dealing with. When we go through the gospels, we have the incredible privilege to see, Lord, give us eyes to see who we're really dealing with on the pages of scripture in the gospels. And that is God almighty, the son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He commands Lazarus to come out of the grave. And in verse 44, he tells him to take off the grave clothes and let him go. And we talked about how, how often when we're saved and we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we still have those old grave clothes on oftentimes, that old mentality. We still, you know, our sinful nature, the power has been taken from it, but it hasn't been eradicated, right? It's still there and we still have sinful desires. We still repent of sinful behavior, we still walk around with remnants of the grave clothes. And, you know, we need to, to, to walk and be transformed in Jesus and help one another to take off the grave clothes. And Jesus commands the people in verse 44, Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And Father, we do. We thank you that we're saved. We thank you that we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And Father, we do ask you to help us to increasingly take off the grave clothes that we may walk in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ that you have for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, because of this, many of the Jews, therefore many of the Jews, verse 45, who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. The, the witness... Being a witness and seeing what Jesus did drove them to believe and trust in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And when you read this, this is all written so that you too would put your faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. That's why it's here. It's in, uh, it's in John chapter 20 i believe verse 30 jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book verse 31 but these are written that you may believe that jesus is the christ 
the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's John 20, the same book, verses 30 and 31. So just as it says, therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him, all of us, when we read the scripture and we hear what Jesus did, when we read what Jesus did, and in in a you know in in obviously a uh, a different way, we too see what Jesus did. Our only response is to put our faith in Him, to grow in our faith in Him. That's why we have the Bible. The reason we have the Bible, <laughs> you know, if, there, if, if you could only have one reason out of countless, right, it's that you might know Jesus and receive Jesus as your only Lord and Savior. John 1, 12, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. That's chapter 1, verse 12 of this book. But if you can only have one reason that you have the Bible, it's so that you would receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. And so that you would, you would, you would have the word of God that you might grow in your relationship with him, grow to know him more intimately, grow to walk with him more intimately, grow to obey him more, and grow to repent when you and I fall short. That's the reason we have the Bible. Now, obviously, the Word of God does countless blessings in our life. But above all, it's about knowing Jesus, walking with Jesus, knowing his love, loving him, and obeying him. And so that's what happens. And as you listen to these teachings and as you study your Bible, the, the, the reason for all this is so that you and I, too, might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that by believing we would have life in his name and then go on to live our lives having more and more life in the name and person of Jesus Christ our Lord. It's, it's again, uh, being forgiven of our sin, being saved, giving our life to Jesus Christ, that's the beginning of the Christian walk. That's the entrance we're called in, in John chapter 10, the last chapter, Jesus said in verse 10, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. There are many Christians who have eternal life living in them. They are saved, right? They are born again spiritually. They're spiritually alive. Their sins have been forgiven. They're, they're a child. God the Father is their heavenly Father. But they don't have life to the full. They, they have they have eternal life. And remember, eternal life is not only a quantity of life, but a quality of life. But they still live as if they were spiritually dead. They don't, they have very little life at all. And, and all of us have difficult seasons, but, but we have these scriptures that we might have life and have it in abundance, right? As the other version says in John 10, 10. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. Verse 46, uh, Charles Spurgeon said is one of the most, uh, and again, I'm paraphrasing here, but he, he said something that uh, to the effect that, that 
it's it's one of the most foul, if not the most foul, and just a vulgar verses in the Bible. Verse 46, but some of them, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. Verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And um, and this is, this is just a, uh, yeah, this is a, this is, this is a picture of a hardness of heart that is really incomprehensible. And again, Romans 15, four says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us and instruct us. They saw the incredible love of Jesus. They saw that Jesus wept. They saw the love of Jesus. They saw the character of Jesus. They, they, they heard the profound words that come that came from Jesus' mouth, May. And then they saw the power of Jesus, Esther. They saw the power of Jesus command Lazarus to come out of the tomb. But they did not love him. They did not put their faith in him. But they went and told on him. They went and they they they, they went and reported to the religious leaders what Jesus was doing to basically brown nose the religious leaders and to expose what Jesus was doing, not out of love, not out of adoration, not out of loving amazement, but out of uh, just a darkness of heart. That's incomprehensible. And Father, I ask you to have mercy on us, Lord. Cleanse us of unrighteousness, of a darkness in our heart, Lord. Lord, forgive us when we think that we're, in, you know, that we have none of this in ourselves, Lord. I, uh, Father, I pray you would have mercy on us as a people and that we would come to Jesus and that we would love him, Lord. Father, how often have we had a spirit in us, Lord, that instead of rejoicing with Jesus, honoring Jesus, being amazed with Jesus, we, we are, uh, we're counter to Jesus. Father, forgive us and cleanse us of this unrighteousness. Forgive us, Lord. You remember when Jesus said, you know, if anyone isn't for me, he's against me. If anyone doesn't gather with me, he scatters. There is no middle ground in Jesus. If you're not for him, you're against him. And then if you're not gathering with him, if you're not building up with him, if you're not you know, bringing people to him, you're, you're pushing people away. You know, there is no middle ground. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. It's our, it's our duty, Mama, Papa. It's our duty to love him. When we see these words on this scripture, when we talk about it, does your heart gravitate to Jesus? Do you want to be with them? Do you do you do you have a a gleam in your eye? Are you you know are you overjoyed when you see what Jesus has done? Are you excited about it? If not, just go and pray and repent and say, Lord, 
you know, uh, you know, you certainly probably haven't done what these Pharisees did. You you probably don't go around talking bad about Jesus, right? Or trying to expose him or, or make him look bad or 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 drive people to unbelief or get them taken out of the way. But just where we don't have an excitement for Jesus that just draws us to 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 growing and maturing in our faith in him and our belief in him, just just repent and ask the Ask your heavenly father to forgive you and to help you and to help you to have joy and excitement in your walk with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse 47, then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. So you see that they, they acknowledged what Jesus was doing. The people go and tell them what Jesus is doing. They obviously should have rejoiced, right? They should have been excited. They should have been, they should have, they should have had a celebration and ran to Jesus and fell at his feet, acknowledging him as, as the Messiah, as the Savior. And man, this territorialism is alive and well in the church today. When I when I say the church, I mean the you know the 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 tens of thousands of little buildings that are scattered all over the place, right? The individual churches. We are all one body in Christ, right? Spiritually, the church we're all connected. We're all brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We all have one heavenly Father, one Lord and Savior, one Holy Spirit. We're all one, but there is such territorialism and division in, you know, all the individual churches that we go to. What are there now? Over 1,100 denominations in Jesus Christ. Some say more, but because we can't get along. And then there is this spirit in the church today, and it is alive and well, and it is a grief to the Lord that we don't, we don't seem to understand at all. Because we, like these Pharisees, are often more concerned about our church and our ministry and what we're doing than we are about the kingdom of God, the word of God, and the son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Father. Again, I just, it just seems like we have so much to repent over, and certainly we do. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, Lord. Forgive us. Forgive me, Lord. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, not to rejoice, verse 47, Scott, not to be excited. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. They acknowledge his power. The only reasonable conclusion is that he is, of course, from God, is the Messiah, is the Son of God. Verse 48, though, right? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. This is what they just said, Corinne. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Right. That's what's supposed to happen. But they go on to say, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And there you see the concern. 
The concern was for their position, for their preeminence, for their power, for, you know, for their jobs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. That is the meaning of church. That's why we have church. You've heard it said that it's it's my job as a pastor to make myself unnecessary. Now, you know, the point is we're supposed to our 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 jobs as ministers are to to continually build people up in Christ so that they are ministers themselves. It's not our job to draw people unto ourselves, but to Christ. We must become less. He must become more, as John the Baptist said, right? You remember when John the Baptist said, I must become less. He, he, Jesus, must become more. He must become more. I must become less. And Lord, we need so much help with this. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. That's the meaning of life. The meaning of church is to grow and mature in your belief in Jesus Christ. But this is what we're concerned about. And again, this is what we're concerned about in the body of Christ today, oftentimes. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. If everyone starts going to that church, someone will take away our church. If everyone starts listening to that minister, well, they won't be listening to me. And, and again, we care more about what happens at, on Sunday or Wednesday or whatever day at our church than we care about the kingdom of God. And the irony is the vast majority of us, the vast majority of us are utterly blind to this. And you could hear this now. You could hear me saying this, and the vast majority would still deny it. And we have failed in this. And it's, and it's a place where we need to repent. Certainly I do. We all need to repent over the areas of our lives where we're more concerned about ourselves, our own ministry, our own message, our own church, than we are about the Son of God, the kingdom of God, in the word of God, getting out. It's epidemic, this problem, in the body of Christ today. And Father, I ask you to forgive us and cleanse us of this unrighteousness in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I beg you to help us to become unified as one body of Christ and to transform our hearts that we care more about Jesus than we do ourselves in our own churches and ministries. Help us, Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Verse 49, then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. It's kind of a, <laughs> it's kind of a, a rude statement, but, you know, as I was studying for this, the scholars said that, you know, the rudeness was common. Um, then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. Verse 50, you do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. 51, he did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. So as high priest, right, as he's sitting in the office that was set up by the Lord, but in no way with a heart to be in that position. It just, 
It was an abominable thing. He's sitting in the chair of Moses, as they would say, right? He is, he's acting as high priest, the highest religious leader in the world of the time. And, and there's an honor for that, right? But the man himself is despicable. And he's prophesying out of the office. And he's not saying here in any way that Jesus dying for the people. What he's saying very clearly is that, you know, we need to kill this man. It's good to kill this man so that, you know, so that all of Israel is not, you know, is not taken over by the Romans and that, you know, we lose our place and, and, and our jobs and our power, right? His heart is utterly dark. And again, it's dark because he cares entirely more about his position in the church, his position in the temple, than he does about the word of God and the son of God and the heart of God. He did not say this on his own. You do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. The irony is that it's by the one man dying, Jesus Christ, the God man, that's the only way that the nation won't perish and the world. It's only by the death of Jesus Christ that we don't perish. Right? Second Peter 3, 9, it's, it's, it's God's will that no one perish, but everyone come to repentance, acknowledging their need of a savior, acknowledging they're hopeless and desperate, and giving their lives to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul. Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Your words don't save you. It's Christ that saves you, but your words communicate your heart to the Lord. Have you given your life to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? How do you do that? Romans 3.23 says that, that every human being has sinned and falls short of God's standard. Have you come before the Lord? Are you trusting and relying and clinging to Jesus Christ today for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? If you haven't, you simply go before Jesus and you acknowledge to him, Lord Jesus I confess I'm a sinful person. I know I'm a sinful person. I know I've done wrong and I know I'm hopeless and helpless, Lord Jesus, but I believe you are the son of God. I believe, Jesus, that you came into this world and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And I believe that you are alive and risen today. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin, to bring me to heaven when I die. Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and confidence and hope to, in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you become a Christian. Again, I can't emphasize enough. It's not the words. It's the genuineness. It's the, authentic, it's, it's the authenticity of our heart. It's our humility in acknowledging that whatever we believed before, whatever nonsense we believed, if we thought we were going to do enough good and that was going to take away our sin, 
You repent of all of that and say, Lord, I know that that's not the way. I believe the scriptures. I believe John 1.12 that says to all who believed in him, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Are you trusting and relying on him today alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? If not, back up the tape and, and listen and use the words that, that I used. But remember, again, it's, it's not words that save you. It's Jesus that saves you. And as you, as you genuinely humble yourself before him, acknowledging your hopelessness, your your, your helplessness, your total desperation, and that he is your only hope, and you run to the foot of the cross and give your life to him. Mm. Caiaphas says you don't realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Again, it's only by the one man dying for the people that the whole nation and the whole world won't perish. 51, he did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. Again, Jesus, and then John's going to go on in 52 and say, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. And so Jesus died not only for the Jewish nation, the Jews, but for everyone else in the world, the Gentiles. Right, Scott? The famous verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, not just the Jewish nation, the world, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered of children of God, not only the Jewish nation, but for all other nations. Remember, we've said that in the scriptures, everyone is either a Jew or a Gentile, Right. If you're not Jewish, if, you're, if, you're, if your nationality is not Jewish, then you're a Gentile. Every other, every other nationality is a, is a Gentile. Verse 53, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Again, they should have, they should have worshipped him. They should have loved him, but again, they were more concerned about their station than they were about Jesus Christ. And again, we are capable as Christians of, of walking in such envy, in such pride. Again, I am capable of this. We are capable and we do it. And again, obviously those of us that do it the most, they don't see it at all. They're, they're utterly unwilling to acknowledge it. And th this is what this can lead to. Father, help us in the name of Jesus. Help us. So from that day on, they didn't plot to love him, to worship him. They didn't plot to give to him. They didn't plot to lead the whole world to Jesus as Messiah and Savior. Even though they saw the miracles, they could even now know he was the Messiah. But instead, they plotted to take his life. 54, therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. 
Well, it's again, Jesus did not do this out of fear. You know, Jesus, as we've seen, when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And that command, that power, he could have used to, to strike everyone down in a moment, in a word. So he's not doing this out of fear. He's withdrawing because he will willingly give his life and willingly turn himself over to be tortured and crucified for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. But he's going to do that in the timing set by him and the Father and the Holy Spirit. So again, he doesn't, he doesn't avoid this based on any type of fear. But, um, but again, because th there, is a, there is a time and a manner for which he'll need to give himself over and, and he's going to walk that out. Again, he's walking in perfect obedience to the plan of his father. 55, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. This will be the last Passover of Jesus' life, the third one, right, of his life. Um, and, you know, it's, um, you know, he's... He's, he's around a week from his death now, right? He's, he's very close to, to the end of his life at this time in verse 55. 56, they kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? So, you know, again, people go to the Passover and they're there, you know, to, 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 to do their ceremonial cleansings, right? They're there to um, they're do that before the Passover. They're there to celebrate this incredible event, the passing over of, of death and life being granted when, in Moses when they were in Egypt. But they keep looking for Jesus. And that's a good thing. Some are looking for him with the right heart. Some are not looking for him with the right heart. We need to keep looking for Jesus. Verse 56, they kept looking for Jesus, Leah. Do you keep looking for Jesus? They're there for this Passover. They're there for the cleansing before the Passover. But they're looking for Jesus. And they stood in the temple area and asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? Verse 57, but the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. Wow. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy, Father. But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. And so again, just the the hardness of heart. Do you have a heart to love Jesus today? Do you have a heart? Are you arrested by Jesus? These, these, these chief priests give orders that might arrest him so that they might have him killed. We need to be arrested by Jesus in every aspect of our lives. Well, Father, we do love you. 
And we bless you and we praise you and we worship you. We thank you for the incredible word of God. We thank you for John chapter 11. We thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness and love in our lives, Father. Again, we ask you to forgive us and cleanse us just of self-serving unrighteousness, Lord, of self-importance. Father, even as I was repenting the other day of just, of just aspects of self-importance in my life, I ask you to, to forgive me and to help us, Father, to be Christ-centered and to be other-centered, Father, more and more. Help us to love you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, as my brother Rapp said, Lord, and help us to love our neighbor as we, as we certainly do love ourselves, Lord. Father, above all, I ask you to draw us unto Jesus. Help us to know Jesus better. Lord Jesus, we worship you and thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness on our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal the message to our hearts. Lead us and guide us as we go forth now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.